Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, to the fourth chapter. We'll be looking at verses uh, 30 through 42. This is uh, kind of a follow-up, a continuation of what we talked about last week with the woman at the well in Samaria. So we'll kind of finish up that story today. And um, I think for those of you who've been in Sunday school the last couple of weeks, you'll see a pretty strong tie-in to Melanie's lesson last week. So you'll see that. So if you have your Bibles, again, um, I invite you that if you're able, please stand as we read from the Word of God. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. It says, They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, not, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the reap, sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because... Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through it. And so I would pray now that our hearts and our minds would be free from anything that might distract us. That you would give us ears to hear and, and eyes to see and hearts and minds to understand and obey. Lord, that you would use your word, that by your Holy Spirit that you would come and that it would accomplish what you please. That working in us and through us, that it would change us that it would conform us, Lord, to your image, to the image of your Son. That this morning I would be neither seen nor heard, but ask that your word be heard clearly, and that it speaks to us. Lord, that it would cut us to our quick, and that as it does so, that it would do it in a, in a way that helps us to know you better, to obey you better, and to be more like Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks. So, now I live, I live in Union County. Um, I think a couple other people live in Union County too. But uh, where, where I live, there's a lot of farming still goes on. 
And pharma is pretty amazing to me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we do three, this is three main crops. You know, you got your corn and your wheat and your soybeans and they rotate. But I, I am amazed at how, how technologically advanced farming is, right? I mean, it's crazy. It, a combine amazes me. I'm going to be honest with you. The, the, this thing that can cut down a stalk of corn and then it can strip all the corn off and shoot everything that's not corn out the back and do it all in the space of 10 or 15 feet is just remarkable to me. Recently, I was uh, hanging out with a farmer I know, and he, sh he was showing me a new combine he got. And uh, it, was, it was an inexpensive combine, about $450,000, I think he said he paid for it. And this thing was like the space shuttle. I mean, it has GPS, laser leveling headers. It, I mean, it told you everything you wanted to know. It was, it was an incredible piece of equipment. And there's, there's a lot of high-tech stuff that goes into agriculture now. They, they have this one thing, um, it's called auto steer. Like, you just sort of program in where you want your tractors and stuff to go, and you're just, sitting, you're just along for the ride. They drive their self. And it's remarkable, the technology that they have. But the thing is, no matter how high-tech farming has gotten, there are still certain principles of agriculture that have to be followed or things aren't going to work, right? I mean, you have to cultivate, you have to, you, you know, you need water, you, you need fertilizer, you need to keep, kill the bugs, these sorts of things that, that you have to do no matter how sophisticated your technology is or your crops just aren't going to produce. Now, doing this doesn't necessarily guarantee a bountiful harvest. You can do all the right things, have all the right equipment, and things still could go poorly. That's one of the things that, that always amazes me about, about farmers is how hard that is, because it only takes a bad, few bad months of weather, either too much rain, too little rain, whatever, to really mess things up for you. And, and I thought about that as I read this passage, just sort of this idea of farming and this necessity to do certain things that if you don't do, you guarantee failure. If you do, it doesn't necessarily guarantee success. But I think there's certain principles as we think about sharing our faith and seeing people come to faith in Christ that we need to learn and we need to practice because if we don't learn and practice, it's pretty much a guarantee that we won't see people come to Christ and we won't see a harvest at all. And so I want us to see this here from Jesus' interaction with these people from, from this town in Samaria. And so the first thing I want us to see is that the harvest is a pleasure. So verses, um, I'm actually going to back up just a little bit to verse 28. And I'm going to read uh, verses 28 through 34. Big hunk here. So the, wo so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So we can learn something from Jesus' interaction with his disciples here that evangelism, sharing our faith, and seeing people come to faith is a great pleasure. This idea of the harvest produces great joy and satisfaction even in Jesus. 
We talked about last week a little bit about the woman, but I just want to go back to it briefly, this idea of the woman left her water jar. She'd gone to the well to get water. That's why she had her water jar. And yet, when she spoke to Jesus and, and came to understand and believe in Jesus, she left her water jar. She had found something of greater value, of greater importance than water. Now, frankly, physically speaking, there is not much that is of greater value than water. We need it to survive. And yet this woman was so excited, so overjoyed about meeting and knowing Jesus that she left that behind and went to tell people about Him. Even Jesus here, we see Him... Apparently He was hungry because He sent His disciples to get food, but when they came back, He wasn't hungry anymore. And they're kind of... What's up? Did somebody else bring you something to eat? Did somebody beat us to it? And he says, look, you guys don't understand. There's something that is more important to to me than even food. And so as I was thinking about that, as I was thinking about the Samaritan woman particularly, I, I, I just wondered, has there ever been a time in my life, has there ever been a time in your life when Jesus was more important to you than the most basic necessities of life? Has there ever been a point where Jesus was more important than eating and drinking? This time where you cannot wait to tell people about Jesus. Now some of you I know have had that experience in your life because some of you are grandparents. And there is nobody that likes to tell people good news more than grandparents. There is nobody that likes to show pictures more than grandparents. The most important thing is to tell people about their grandchildren. When they're born, when they do something cool, when they graduate, all these different things. And the thing is, is we get so excited about our kids and our grandkids, and that's great. But this woman was excited about Jesus. And I wonder how many of us are excited about Jesus in that way. Because when we are getting to tell people about, you know, we're often afraid of talking about Jesus sometimes. But what we'll find is that when we do, it brings us great pleasure. It brings us great joy. The fear is not what we thought it would be. The joy comes and the joy overwhelms us. And that's what Jesus said. He said, look, my food, my sustenance, the thing that is most important to me is doing what my Father sent me to do. Is doing that work of spreading the good news and telling people the gospel of salvation. I often wonder why anybody would want to be a farmer. I don't know about you, but it is ridiculously hard work. It is, um, you, you work, you know, you have spans where you don't see your family for weeks and weeks at a time, just whether it's harvest or planting or whatever. And then again, it takes just an unfortunate series of weather events to completely ruin you for a season. Boy, put two or three of those years together, it can be bad. But what I've come to understand about farmers, and I, I know a lot of them, is that they farm because it's what they love. I have a friend who, he was a Moorhead scholar, went to Chapel Hill, studied finance, Brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, went into banking. Problem was, he wasn't a banker. He's a farmer. And so he quit. 
and he now he's a, he's a very successful farmer. But it's just that it's the the power of that the passion for for your your call. And this is the call that Jesus had. This is the call that, that one, the Samaritan woman had. And it brought great pleasure to them. And in the same way, it can bring great pleasure to us if we'll just do it. But we're so scared sometimes that we don't take that leap. It's kind of like my, my little boy. We, we're members of this place that's uh, got a, a water park. And they got these big, you know, this twirly slides you go down. Well, he wouldn't go down it for a little while. He was too scared. Once we finally got him to go down it, guess what? It's the best thing in the water park. And so, sharing Jesus is like that, and telling other people about Jesus is like that, and sharing the gospel. It's, maybe it's a little scary at first, but as we do it, we're going to find that it brings tremendous joy and satisfaction. And when we see somebody come to faith in Christ, when we see the harvest actually realized like Jesus did, Man, it's the best thing ever. It's better than food. And food's pretty important. So we need to remember that our call to share the gospel is not some burdensome duty. It's actually a great privilege and a great gift to be called to be ambassadors of Christ. We need to remember that. We have that privilege to be God's children who get to tell other people about His saving grace through Jesus Christ. It's an amazing gift and it's a great pleasure. The next thing I want us to see here is that the harvest is a time of rejoicing. Verse 36. It says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus says that the sower, the one who plants, and the reaper, the one who harvests, that they reap together. There's a common joy in the life of a church when someone comes to faith in Christ. When you have that opportunity to see someone come to Christ and see them baptized and make that public profession of faith and then begin to, to grow and to flourish in Christ. And so it brings a great joy. Look, we, we've got to understand what's happening here when someone comes to faith in Christ. We talk about miracles a lot. There is no greater miracle than somebody who was dead being made alive. And that's what we're talking about that happens when someone puts their faith in Christ. And sometimes I wonder how vigorously we celebrate the harvest. How excited we get. You know, we do, like, we do it up big for birthdays and stuff like that and weddings. And that's not to diminish the importance of a wedding. But do you know the average wedding in the United States today costs $30,000? That's a lot of money for something that's going to last, what, two, three hours? If it's really long, maybe four or five, for the whole shindig. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we, we put all that emphasis on, on temporal celebrations. Some are important, but how, how much do we celebrate when someone comes to faith in Christ? How big a deal do we make? You know, um, we, we started, our new pastor came to our church at, at Shiloh, and one of the things he did, when we have a baptism now, I think this is a really cool thing, when we have a baptism right after church that day, we have a party. We actually have a, a, big, a, big, a big supper, a big, or a big lunch for everybody, and we have a party, and we celebrate those people, and we celebrate what God has done in their life. And we've got to figure out in the church, if we say we're about evangelism, when we say it's really important to see people come to faith in Christ, 
And we need to act like it. Birthdays are great. We want to celebrate those. But new birthdays are way more important. And we really want to celebrate those. And so we want to find these times of rejoicing. If the angels in heaven are rejoicing when a lost sinner is found, what should we be doing when we see that? Particularly when we're one of it. You know, a harvest of any size. I think sometimes, particularly you know, we're in the age of megachurches where we see churches having Easter baptism and they're baptizing 400 people or something and we think, oh man, boy, I wish we could be a part of that. Rejoice at one. You know, the, the guy got excited when he found his one sheep that was gone. And so we need to do that. We need to rejoice over that. And the other thing, and this is hard for us too sometimes, is don't be jealous. You know, if, if Blair Road over here or, or Arlington down here or whatever, if people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ and finding eternal life there, rejoice in that. Don't be jealous. Don't be, you know, don't be critical. Be happy. People are finding eternal life. And whether we're the ones sowing, we're the ones reaping, be happy that the harvest is happening. And rejoice with them. Because we've got to remember that at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about Jesus and about people coming to know Him and people coming to find life in Him and give Him honor and glory and blessing and praise. The next thing we'll see here is verses 37 through 38. It says, For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that the harvest requires different roles. It requires different skills, different people. It's a team approach. One person sows, one person labors, cultivating that sort of thing. And then the, uh, another person reaps. And so the harvest, the harvest of evangelism, the harvest of seeing people come to faith in Christ, that requires everybody. It's a team activity. Um, you know, a lot of times I think in a lot of churches, they view the sharing of the gospel, this idea of evangelism and telling people about Jesus as the role of the pastor. Right? That's, that's the pastor's job to do that. That's what we say, we'll say, and, and those sorts of things. And is it the It actually is the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. But you know who else's job it is to tell people about Jesus? It's your job to tell people. It's everybody's in the body. Now we all have different roles in the harvest. Jesus says, you know, there are sowers, there are laborers, there are reapers. And so, not every one of us who tells people about Jesus is going to lead someone to Christ. Not every one of us who leads someone to Christ has actually invested much in that person. We might not have even sowed very much. We just might have been in the right time. But that everybody has a, has a gift and a job and a role to play in sharing the gospel and sowing and laboring and reaping. And we've got to be faithful to that calling. As God gives us those opportunities, figure out where we can do those things. Figure out where and how we can share the gospel with people. They're all different roles, but they're all committed and united for one central purpose, and that's the harvest. 
You know, agriculture is a community activity. You know, farmers had, people who lived on farm had really big families because you, you got free labor. And, and to, Miss um, Agnes, were you a farm family? Because you had a lot of kids in your family. Yeah, she was, yeah. So she, yeah, most of these really big families were far, farmers. Everybody that I go to church with, they have like 12 and 13 kids. They were all cotton farmers and stuff like that. That's what they did. And so, um, but, but anyway, you know, we all have these different roles. But we must recognize that we all have a role in the harvest. There's no mention that it's for mature Christians, for deepening Christians, or anything like that. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a part to play. Think about the Samaritan woman. What qualifications did she have to tell other people about Jesus? How long has she been? A, how long has she been a Christian in our terminology? Yeah, about thirty seconds, right? So, how, how many church membership classes has she taken? How many how many evangelism seminars and evangelism trainings has she been to? None. The only qualification she had is the only qualification any of us need to tell other people about Jesus, and that's that we know Jesus. Right? That's it. That's, that's all she knew was Jesus. And so she went to tell people who didn't know Jesus what she knew. And that's our calling. That's all we have to do. I think a lot of times we get confused, particularly when we talk about spiritual gifts. We'll talk about spiritual... There, there is no spiritual gift of evangelism. Okay, it's not one of the gifts. In Ephesians 4, you see the role of an evangelist, but that's an office in the church. That's different. There's no gift of evangelism. Now, this is going to be disappointing to some of you because you're thinking, all right, I've done my spiritual gifts inventory. I do not have the gift of evangelism. Whew. I'm glad that's not my gift. I'm glad my gift's hospitality or whatever, you know. So, but the fact is, it's not a gift. You didn't dodge the bullet of having the spiritual gift of evangelism because nobody's got it. It's everybody's job. It's everybody's responsibility. It's everybody's privilege to do that. So we all have a role to play in sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith in Christ. Bringing a, a successful harvest in takes a lot of people working in a lot of different ways. You know, again, used to, before we had all the, the great equipment, um, bringing in the harvest was a community activity. You know, Bill and Anita, they do the, everybody would help them do their field, then they go to help Guy and Cheryl do their field, and then Lee and Ann go do their field, and, and, and everybody would help everybody get their crops in. And they'd have corn shuckings and all this different stuff to help each other. Now, equipment and technology has eliminated the need for a lot of that stuff, but... But again, it's a community activity. And seeing people come to faith in Christ is still a community activity in the church today. It takes all of us doing our part. Everybody has an important role to play in seeing people come to faith in Christ. The next thing is in verse 38. Jesus says, I sent you to reap, for, reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. The harvest takes time. That's the other thing we've got to remember is stuff doesn't grow overnight. That's frustrating for us today, especially today, because patience is, 
And delayed gratification is something we are not terribly good at as a culture, and it's getting worse. I mean, we don't even watch television shows when they come on anymore, right? We have DVRs and Netflix and all this stuff, so it's on demand and watch stuff when I want to watch it, how I want to watch it, where I want to watch it. And we just want this instant gratification. You know, you think about cell phones. You think about how incredibly connected we are and how mad your wife gets at you if you do not text her back immediately when she texts you. I have, I have been there. I have done that. It doesn't work the other way for some reason. I'm not allowed to get mad when she doesn't respond to me. But, but you know, it's, we, we live in this society that wants everything now. You can't do that when you're farming. You can't do that when you're trying to grow stuff. Because it takes time for stuff to grow. It's just the way it is. And sometimes we see the harvest and sometimes we don't. I don't know if you have people in your life who don't know Christ, who you have prayed for for a number of years. Keep praying for them. Because it might just not be the harvest yet. But you may never see the harvest. I know people or knew people who had children and grandchildren who they prayed for for years and years and years that they would come to, to faith in Christ and they died not seeing them come to faith in Christ but later in their life they saw them come to faith in Christ. And that happens all the time. So we've got to continue in, and to be patient and to remembering that it, it's, it's hard sometimes because we want to see results, don't we? See, we've put all this energy, all this effort, all this time in. Well, come on, Lord. Where's the results? Where's the harvest? We don't get to decide the timing on that sort of thing. That's the Lord's job. It's His responsibility. It's in His wisdom and His sovereignty in His time, not ours. And so we need to remember that. And Jesus says, look, He says, sometimes you're going to reap what other people have labored for. And sometimes other people are going to reap what you have labored for. And that's okay. We all want to be the reapers. We all want to be the harvesters. Because that's, that's like the grand prize. That's when you win, we feel like. But the fact is there is joy, there is pleasure in the sowing and the laboring. And we just got to be patient. Say, God... We're going to do what you've called us to do, and we're going to trust the results to you. Because we understand that just like farmers farming, they can't make anything grow. With all the technology we have, you can't make stuff grow if, it, if things don't work out. In the same way, we've got to remember that if the Lord doesn't bless, if the Lord doesn't give that increase, then it's not going to happen. So we have to be patient with that. But we also have to be content with that. But we have to continue to work. And that's what's hard. I think that's what's really hard is because we don't see results or we don't see results immediately, that it's easy to give up. It's easy just to say, man, I've tried this. This ain't going anywhere. I'm just going to kick back and coast. But we can't do that. Because the harvest takes time. Everyone reaps eventually what others have sown. Finally, the last thing I want us to see is that the harvest is a cycle. This is verses 39 through 42. 
says, many Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of the women's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So we got to remember, just like planting and harvesting, it's a cycle. And here, the cycle goes something like this. Someone tells us about Jesus. We meet Jesus. We tell others about Jesus. And they in turn tell others about Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. That's the cycle. Right? And so we see it here. First, someone tells us about Jesus. Now, in this woman's case, Jesus was telling her about Jesus, which is pretty cool. So she gets to hear about Jesus from Jesus. She meets Jesus. And then what does she do? She goes immediately to tell other people about Jesus. Again, she had, was completely unqualified for this task in our estimation, right? Because as far as the people in that town knew, who was she still? Who was she when she walked out to get water? She was the town harlot. But she came back a different person. And she went to get water out of this well, and what she found was the living water of Jesus Christ, and it so filled her and so welled up inside of her that it overflowed out of her. And all she could think to do was, i got to go tell other people about this. And so that's what she did. And that's the second part of the cycle. She goes and she tells other people about Jesus. Now, one thing I do kind of wonder, given who this woman was, why did they listen to her? I don't know if you ever wondered about that. What was it about her that made the people suddenly go, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. We'll come check this out. Something about her was different, obviously. We don't know what. Maybe it was just her excitement or her passion or whatever. I don't know. But she, she goes and these people respond. She tells them about Jesus. And so she brings them back to Jesus. And so they came. And so then the people that we tell about Jesus, what happens? They met Jesus. The people from the town came and they met Jesus. And notice what they said. They said, They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, she met Jesus. She went and told them about Jesus. They met Jesus, and they believed. Now, I want us to stop right there for a second, because that's where the cycle should begin all over again. But I want us to contrast the woman at the well and the disciples. Think about it. Where had these boys just been? They had been in the town getting stuff for Jesus. They'd been doing stuff for Jesus in the town. The exact same town this woman runs to and tells the whole town. She brings, what is she, she brings the whole town back to Jesus. What did they bring back to Jesus? Lunch. 
Who are we more like? Who am I more like? Who are you more like? Are we more like the woman whose greatest passion and greatest pleasure and greatest joy and greatest concern was to see the people of her town, the people who didn't know Jesus, come to know Him? Are we interested in doing stuff for Jesus? Because they were doing stuff for Jesus. I don't know if it makes it sound like it's not important, but they were in this incredibly rich mission opportunity, and they completely missed it. It just, right over them. They didn't see it at all. Because they were so focused on doing stuff for Jesus that they somehow missed the lost people that Jesus came to save. And this woman didn't do that, though. She saw it. And she understood that these are people who are lost and dying and will suffer the wrath of God if they don't know Jesus. And so they came, and she came, and she said, Come see this guy who told us all that I ever did. So I wonder, who are we more like often in the church? Are we busy doing stuff for Jesus? Are we busy being about the Master's work of telling other people about Jesus? So that they can come to Jesus, they can meet Jesus, and they can in turn go tell other people about Jesus. That's our calling. We're supposed to be doing. But so often, that breaks down. Right? When I was growing up, my dad, his, like, his pride and joy was, was his garden. We had a really big garden. And, um, and I don't have a garden today because I was forced labor for so many years. Um, I still, I just now getting where I can eat squash. I, hate, I hated picking squash so bad as a kid. I wouldn't eat it for years and years. Um, and he, my dad would grow uh, tomato plants. He, he'd have tomato plants, so, you know, literally this high. I mean, he was really good and worked really hard at it. And we had these, this really big garden every year. Um, and there are a few th- I love to eat green beans, cannot stand to pick them. I, always, I would have to, I don't know, you probably never had this experience, but I would have to pick a row like three times because I would miss half the beans every time. Like, so really, I was just... But um, I remember one year, we had some neighbors lived across the street, and they were good people, deep, committed Christian family. And, um, and, and they decided they were going to have a garden one year, and so they'd go out and they work pretty much all day, like one Saturday, getting the, getting the spot ready and planting and everything. And then at the end of the day, I remember standing out in the yard because they'd asked my dad for a little bit of help and um, watching, and they did something that was very odd to me. They got out in the garden and they, they prayed. And this was something that, that was incredibly foreign to me. I mean, we, you know, before I was 18, I'd probably been in church twice my whole life, and those were for funerals. So, you know, so this idea of these people praying was kind of weird, and I thought it was kind of weird. My, my dad was less than complimentary of it, and, um, and so he was actually prophetic, as it turns out, about what he said. Because as the season went on, we, we worked hard in our garden. I mean, it was every day, it was rough. Um, but when it came time for the harvest, we had stuff to eat. We had stuff to put up. It was great. Now, our neighbors across the street, they prayed for that garden. And that was about the last time they touched it. So when it came harvest time, they had a lot of stuff in their garden. And it was mostly weeds. You know, occasionally they had some stuff they could maybe pick out. But, you know, we the pagans, 
had a really great garden and a really great harvest because we had worked in the garden. We had put in the labor. We had sowed and we had labored and so we were able to harvest. But our Christian neighbors across the street, they sowed, but then they prayed, which was great and that was important, but then they stopped. They didn't do anything else. Because somehow in their mind, that prayer was all they needed. Okay, Lord, we've done this work. Now you protect this garden and make it bountiful. And I wonder how often we're like that in church. The Lord gives us a clear calling, command, and even sometimes a a process to do things. And we ignore it. I'm a firm believer that God will never do for us what He has called and equipped us to do for ourselves. And He has called and equipped us to share the gospel with people who do not know it. And to continue to do that, to sow the gospel wherever we can, to labor, to cultivate, and to ultimately reap the harvest. The harvest that is of His making and His timing to His glory, but it is for our pleasure that we could rejoice at it. So let's not be like the disciples. Let's not be like my neighbors across the street and just pray and kind of do stuff for Jesus. Let's do what He's called us to do. Let's do what He's equipped us to do. Let's share Jesus with people. Now, again, the harvest, that's God's timing. That's God's work. That's not ours. My job, your job, is not to convict anybody. Your job or my job is not to somehow... I don't even like the term win somebody to Christ. Because I don't think we do that. All we are, all we do, is we are just faithful to deliver the message as graciously and compassionately as we can over and over and over again. And as we do that, people will come to know Christ. If we are faithful in the calling God has given us in time, in His time, and according to His way, and to His degree... He will give us a harvest. But we have to do the things that we're called to do. Again, if we go back to the cycle that we meet Jesus, we tell other people about Jesus, and then they in turn tell other people about Jesus. Here's where this breaks down for so many of us in the church today. is people. Somebody tells us about Jesus, we meet Jesus, and that's where it stops. If we want to see people come to faith in Christ, we can't rely on other people to do it. God has given us a calling. He's given us an equipping. He has made it, given us all a part in this great harvest. So let's do that work. And let's be like this woman whose only qualification for sharing Jesus was that she knew Jesus. So if you know Jesus, my challenge to you this week, my challenge to me this week, is to go share Jesus with somebody who doesn't know Him. That one day that person might know Jesus and then believe and then go tell others. Because that's our calling. So let's pray. Father, again, Lord, we don't know exactly why You chose to use us to spread the Gospel. 
Um, sometimes it doesn't seem like such a great plan because we're not terribly faithful to the task. But Lord, we trust You. We trust Your wisdom. trust Your sovereignty. And so I would ask for me, for, for everybody who's here, that we would understand our role and our place and our great privilege to be a part of this harvest. That through Your Word, through Your Holy Spirit, through other believers, that You would prod us, You would provoke us, You would empower us, You would encourage us, You would strengthen us, give us boldness to do our part. Whatever it is, Lord, whether it's sowing, whether it's just digging up weeds in people's lives, whether it's maybe, if, if you're gracious, being a part of seeing folks come to faith in Christ and actually being a part of that harvest. But Lord, help us to be faithful to whatever task You've given us. As individuals, may this church be faithful to whatever task it's been given. Lord, help us and teach us. Help us to be faithful because we know that ultimately You will be faithful to Your Word and to Your promises. And so may we trust that and rely on that and act in accordance with that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.